This has really been a, a week of some good news. All of you know about Tess Lohman having been in a, a terrible car accident here several weeks ago. She was able to come home yesterday. And we praise God for his protection and his, uh, uh, his healing of her body. And she's able to be back home. Let's, let's, let's praise God for this as well. It's, it is good news. Good news. And, and there were a couple of other things that happened with folks in our community. Um, the uh, the Quigleys, you, you, a lot of you may know who they are. Uh, they had a tree fall on their house the other night during a storm. And fortunately, they had, they had gotten up. Uh, Larry had just gotten up out of the couch that was in the room. The, the, the tree came in and had walked to the other room, and the tree fell on top of their house and destroyed that. Uh, but they're, they're getting that all taken care of and replaced, and, and we're grateful that no one was hurt in that. Uh, Mark Corbis had gotten bit by something, and he was in the hospital the other night uh, there in the emergency room for an evening or so, uh, but he's, he's improving as well, so we, we are grateful that God has provided for the needs of our church family. This morning, we're starting a, a new series called Greatest Hits, and, and the assignment that a lot of us had was to find a song that we knew was a great hit some years back, maybe a little bit more recently, and then tie that into the introduction of a sermon. So uh, uh, for the next several weeks, you're going to hear sermons based upon songs from maybe the not-too-recent past to some years ago. Back in 1988, uh, Bobby McFerrin wrote a song called Don't Worry, Be Happy. How many of you know that song? How many of you have sung it in the bathroom at some point or other, or whistled as you're going along? That song was over the, being played on the radio all the time back in, in 88, and then you've probably whistled or you've at least heard this tune. song I wrote, you might want to sing it note for note, don't worry, be happy, in every life we have some trouble, but when you worry you make it double, don't worry, be happy, don't worry, be happy now. How many of you noticed Robin Williams in that clip? Probably not. He was, he's in the very beginning of the thing. It's, it's cool that he was in there. I love this song. I just used to whistle the song all the time and sing it going down the road. Don't worry, be happy. I mean, that's something that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? To, to just be happy all the time and not let things bother you. Uh, the good question is, what stresses you out the most? I mean, what kind of things bring you anxiety? Is it your spouse or your boss? Is it, is it co-workers? Is it your neighbors? If it's your neighbors, don't sell the house. I mean, uh, on a stress scale, neighbors tend to be the least offensive, causing stress or anxiety for about 23% of us. Uh, Co-workers produce 38% stress, or 38% of us uh, have stress because of our co-workers. Our spouses, either husbands or wives, cause stress for about 20-some percent of us. And, uh, well, no, actually 30%. 30% of that stress from our spouses. And you know what that's like when you live in a home where either the, the wife is worrying about something, the husband's worrying about something. I read about a, a wife who was uh, having a hard time going to sleep every night for years because she was afraid the house was going to be broken into by burglars. Well, one night the husband hears uh, a sound, and he goes down, and sure enough, there's a burglar in the house. And he said, I am so glad you're here. I would like to introduce you to my wife. She's been wanting to meet you for the past 10 years. 
63% of us are stressed by our workload, things that happen at work. We are a nation of worriers. We tend to worry. We tend to get stressed out all the time. But are the things that you worry about, are they really worth your time and energy? Are they worth the effort that you spend in worrying about them? A, a, a guy in a business uh, situation decided to, uh, to try to map out the things that, that he worried about and to give them a scale. And as he researched and finally came up with the conclusions, he determined that 40% of the things that he worried about were things that probably would never happen. 40%. He also found that 30% of the things concerned uh, decisions that he had made in the past that you could not change. Good or bad, you can't change any of that. He discovered that 12% dealt with other, uh, other people's criticisms of him. And, and you'd like to be able to change some of that, some of it you cannot. He discovered that 10% of the things he worried about had to do with personal health. And maybe you can't do a whole lot about that. He discovered that of all the things that he worried about, there's only about 8% that he could actually affect, that he could actually manipulate or change. 8% anxiety. Maybe that describes some of you. Maybe that describes where you are today, that you have, you have anxiety in your life. Jeff Fall, a Christian writer and minister, writes, I've always wondered what it would be like to live during the times of the Civil War, the Spanish flu, the Great Depression, the Civil Rights Movement, Watergate and the Dust Bowl, and I might add, murder hornets, giant asteroids, cyclospore foodborne illnesses, and the list goes on. It seems the threats are multiplied. He said, we definitely live in a VUCA, a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world. But we do worry, don't we? We have problems, and these problems are serious. We turn on TV sets or pick up our, our newspapers and we read about unrest in the cities, violence, protests, those kinds of things going on. And certainly today, uh, we, our attention is, is focused on COVID-19. Will schools start on time? When will I get to see grandma once again? How long will this furlough last from my work? Will I get the disease? But that's not the only thing people worry about. A lot of people worry about the fact that the money has run out before the end of the month again. A husband and wife have been arguing, wondering if the kids know what's going on. Are they picking up on any of these things? The boss is talking about cutbacks. I wonder if I'm going to be included in that number. Man, there's a spot on my skin. The doctor said melanoma. I wonder what that's all about. You see, those kind of things don't just keep us up at night. It produces tears, anxiety, ulcers, and depression. <clears throat> and yet the Apostle Paul counters that kind of feeling, that kind of thinking in Philippians 4, when he told the church there, always be full of joy in the Lord, as I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, when Paul wrote this, where was he writing this from? Well, Paul was sitting in a big easy chair. He had his feet propped up on the ottoman. He was looking at a fire in the fireplace and his flat screen TV, drinking a big iced tea. That's not where he was. Paul's in prison. He's in prison waiting trial. And that trial will determine two things, whether he's found innocent and released or whether he's found guilty and will be killed, which the latter is what took place. But it wasn't just that that had to be on Paul's mind. He's thinking about all of the turmoil that's going on in the church in Rome, the problems that are there. Back in the church in Philippi, there's uh, Iodia and Syntyche, the two ladies. They're fighting, going back and forth, and he worries about that. Yet his response to all of this 
Anxiety is to rejoice in the Lord. Don't be anxious about anything. What does it mean to be anxious? It means to be pulled in different directions. Hope pulls one direction, fear pulls the other. It feels at times, you feel at times like you're being pulled apart, don't you? The word worry is from an old English word that means to, to feel like you're suffocating. I can't breathe. I'm sinking. Is worry sinful? Well, it can be. It can be if it takes us away from the power and the presence of God in our lives and it incapacitates us in our life of faith. Still, I understand life can be overwhelming. It can be frightening at times. It, 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 and so worry is not an uncommon thing. Mary Crowley writes, every evening I turn my worries over to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. I like to do that. So in the middle of a world that seems like it's imploding, how do you stay at peace? How do you find any security? In the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus is preaching what we know as the Sermon on the Mount from chapter 5 to chapter 7. And in the middle of this sermon, he gives us some direction how we can maintain hope and peace. So in verse 25 of chapter 6, he begins by saying, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Now we're going to go back and find out why he said this. Don't worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food, drink, enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food, your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add one second, a single moment to your life? And why worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work. They don't make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all of his glory, is not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully about the wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things, they, they dominate. They capture the thoughts of pagans, of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows, you, already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now, when Jesus said, don't worry, what was he talking about? He was saying, don't worry with anxiety. Don't worry anxiously. What does that mean to worry anxiously? It means that nail-biting, lip-chewing, finger-twiddling, toe-tapping, knee-knocking, sweat-inducing, stomach-churning kind of worry that a lot of us have that goes on in our life. He's not, say, he's not saying be, be careless, don't be reckless, don't be laissez-faire, you know, don't worry about those things. That's not what he's saying there, but he's warning against the kind of worried fear that robs us of our joy. Have you been robbed of your joy this morning? Has life taken a hold of you in such a way that joy is absent in you? Now, some of us say, well, well maybe I have a right to worry. Jesus said, stop worrying. The idea of stopping means to stop worrying and never start again. I, I know, Dee, but, but man, the, the world's in bad shape. I've got a right to be anxious. Why shouldn't we worry when the world seems like it's about to implode? Three reasons Jesus gives us here in Matthew chapter 6. The first is this, anxious worry is irreverent. You ever thought of it that way? 
Anxious worry is irreverent. Why? Because we fail to recognize the God who gives us life and who sustains that life, who provides for the needs of our life every day. Now, that's the point of what Jesus said in verse 24. We didn't read that verse, but you know verse 24, chapter 6. There Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and despise the other, love the one and go to the other. So Jesus is our master. God is our master. And if he is, he will love us and provide for us. That's the point of verse 24. But look closely at what he says in verse 25. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothes? Man, not according to my TV set. When I turn it on, I see ad for Kohl's and Target and Amazon. And it tells me that the clothes that I wear and how I smell and how I do my hair make me something, well, not my hair, but how you do your hair uh, makes you important and feel good about yourself. Auto dealers say, buy this car, because if you buy this car, then you're going to look good in the eyes of your neighbors, and you will have risen the social ladder. So with the earbuds firmly planted in our ears and live streaming on our cell phones and checking our text messages, we're driving through the drive-thru at McDonald's and ordering our food, and so the focus of life is on us. The focus of life is on us. Jesus said, is our purpose, is your goal in life only to eat fine foods and to be sartorially dressed, to be impeccably dressed? You know, eating good food and, and, and having clothes is important to God. He'll take care of those things. He knows our needs. But he asked the question again in verse 25, isn't life more than food? Isn't your body more than just clothes? Again, we wouldn't believe that by the way that we act. Taking care of our bodies has become a national obsession. A survey was taken finding uh, that 1,350 U.S. adults aged 18 to 65, it, it, they spend an average of $155 a month on health and fitness. Man, that's, a, that's $112,000 a year, or in a life, not a year, but in a lifetime. That, that's more than a four-year college education. People want to be in good shape. I understand that. I, I read about a lady who joined a gym, and she wanted to get in shape. So she goes to the gym, and she stretches, and she twists, she contorts, she turns, she works real hard. And she said, man, by the time I got my leotards on, I was exhausted. Man, we build it up, we slim it down, we drape it with jewelry, we keep it warm, we keep it cool, we train it to work and play, we help it to sleep, and there are a hundred other things we do to serve the needs of our body. Now, that doesn't mean that it's wrong to take care of your body. There's nothing wrong with exercise. I've been told that I have the body of a god, Buddha. <laughs> you see, our, our hands, our lives are in the hands of a living God. And if we trust that God can save us, if we trust that God can love us, if we trust that God can save our souls, can usher us into eternity, if we trust God with our very lives, why can't we not trust him with our daily needs? Why don't we trust him that way? Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Those words are somewhat echoed by the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 9 when the author said, each person is destined to die once. No reincarnation, no coming back. Destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So why do we worry when we know that God is in control of everything, even knowing the very last day of our life, ready to bring us into eternity? You see, Jesus didn't promise us abundance. He promised us an abundant life. He promised us an abundant life, not a life full of things, not that things are bad. 
It's just that's not the initial, that's not the initial reason we're here. I've known a lot of people who are abundantly blessed with lots of things and have no joy. And I've known a lot of people who barely get by, yet they have joy that just simply bubbles over in their life. It's an amazing thing. To worry anxiously or needlessly is irreverent. To worry anxiously is also irrelevant. Why? Because worrying never changes anything. One of the greatest movies, I believe, of all time was the movie Hoosiers about an Indiana basketball team in a little town called Milan, Indiana. They called it Hickory in the movie. Well, this little town of, Indi- this little town of Hickory has, has made its way all the way to the state championships and ready to play the championship game. They go into the field house in Indianapolis, and it is huge. Probably none of them have ever been in a building like this before, and they have that deer-in-the-headlight look. Coach Dale illustrates something for them to help them realize it's no different than being at home. Watch this clip. <clears throat> Hold this into the backboard. What is it? 15 feet. 15 feet. Strap, put Ollie on your shoulders. <clears throat> Measure this uh, from the rim. Buddy? How far? Ten feet. Ten feet. I think you'll find it's the exact same measurements as our gym back in Hickory. (laughs) Okay, let's get dressed for practice. Fifteen feet from the free throw line to the edge of the basket. 10 feet from the top of the basket to the floor, just like back home. Yeah, the sights are all different, but the reality is that the size of the gym was still the same. And the team was relieved to find out that things were really not a whole lot different. Worrying never changed anything in their situation. Has anxiety, has that anxious worry ever changed anything in your life? Jesus said, can any of you add a single hour to your life by worrying? Have you ever done that? Have you ever added a minute, even a split second to your life because you've worried a little bit more? Dr. Charles Mayo, Mayo Clinic, said that worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. He said, I've never known a man or known a man who worried himself or who worked himself to death, but I've known many men who have worried themselves to death. An examination of over 500 patients confirmed that more than one-third of their visual problems came because of stress and anxiety. A Northwestern University study proved that worry restricts the flow of saliva, and when you don't have saliva moving in the mouth, acids remain and it rots the teeth. So worriers have rotten teeth. It was discovered among 5,000 students in 21 different colleges that worriers got the lowest grades. I guess I did a lot of worrying in school. That must be what the point is. What is the point in anxiously worrying about material things, obtaining them, and then living in the fear of losing them? You ever been there? Man, you've worked hard to get these things, and, and, and now that you've got it, you're afraid that you might, you might lose it? Dr. James Dobson, who's, who was past president of Focus on the Family, 
loved to play Monopoly with his family. You played Monopoly, you've played that game probably. And they put the board out and they've got out all the paper money and all the little houses, the green and the red, and then all the, the major utilities. And, and he was a master at the game. And he would start playing the game with his wife and his kids. And pretty soon he bought up Park Place and Boardwalk and the railroad and the water utilities. And he had houses in all these areas. And his family would land on a spot and he'd take their money. And pretty soon he's won the game. And they're mad. They leave him to put it all away. So he takes all the money and puts the rubber bands back around it, takes the little houses and puts them back in their containers and all the little board pieces and puts them where they belong. And he folds up the board itself and he puts it back in the box. He, he puts it back in the box and he determines, he says, I discovered that we're not playing Monopoly, we're playing the game of life. This is life. We work hard, we sacrifice our our health, we sacrifice our children, we sacrifice our spouse, we sacrifice ourselves to try to obtain and gain the world because we think that's important to have. And then one day you notice a funny patch of skin. Could that be cancer? What's that sharp pain running down my left arm? I've, I've never noticed that before. Maybe I should go, go see a doctor. And suddenly, a massive coronary, a, a major stroke, a fast-moving cancer, and it's all over. And it all goes back in the box. It all goes back in the box. And what we have worked so hard to obtain is so quickly and so easily taken away. You cannot take it with you. I've never saw a U-Haul pulling, or never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. It just doesn't happen. Jesus said that needless worry over things in life is irrelevant because it doesn't change anything. And neither does worrying that way help us to cope with those problems. The more we try it alone, the worse the problem becomes, the more difficult life becomes. And that self-preoccupation with the difficulties of life leaves God out of the picture altogether, and we fail to call upon God when we need Him the most. Anxious worry is, is irreverent. It's also irrelevant. Last of all, anxious worry is irresponsible. In verse 28, Jesus uses as an example the flowers that grow there in Judea. Look what he says in verse 28. Those flowers, they never work or spin yarn for clothes. But I say that not even Solomon in all of his majesty was dressed like one of these flowers. One of the prettiest times in Texas is the spring when the blue bonnets uh, emerge. I mean, they come up in fields along the highways, and they are gorgeous. They just carpet the landscape. I've got a picture of my two daughters sitting in a blue bonnet field. The flowers come up to about here. All you can see just about are their heads. The flowers last for quite a long time. It's even against the law for the highway to mow the, uh, uh, the sides of the roads until the blue bonnets have completely flowered out and died. Now, in Judea, there would be poppies, uh, anemones, 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 how you say that word, that kind of a flower. I don't know what it is, some flower. And, and they'll bloom for one day, and then they die. And I mean, for that one day, they carpet the landscape, and then the most beautiful thing that is there, and then the next day, they're gone. And so they'd be gathered up and used for fuel for the fire. A, a wife would be cooking. She would take her big clay pot, and she would put sticks underneath of it and light it to get the fire going. But it took a while to get the heat up. So if she wanted to get fast heat, she took all those dead wildflowers and roll them up in a ball with some sticks, put them inside the clay oven and light those, and she would get heat right away. The point of that is this. It is irresponsible to believe that God would give such beauty to a flower that's here today and is used for fuel the next day and not provide for those he came to save. Get that? 
It's irresponsible to think that God would not care for us when he cares for his creation as he does because we are part of that creation. I know that the cares and the demands of this world can, can be a struggle. To stay ahead, maybe even to stay afloat, that can be distressing, depressing. A husband and wife are going through a series of, of stressful financial months. And one night, the husband and the wife are sitting there, and the wife notices, notices the husband looking pensively at her diamond ring. And she felt a little bit of romance, and so she said these words, with this ring, and he completed the sentence by saying, we could pay off our visa. I don't know how long that marriage lasted. Anxious worry is essentially distrusting God. It is the characteristic of those who do not believe. In verse 32, he talked about unbelievers. That word is ethnoi. It's the same word that's used for ethnics or even Gentiles. He said worrying about what to eat, what to drink, and what to wear is something that the Gentiles, the pagans, the unbelievers chase after. They, they pursue those things. And folks, if you have no hope in God, if there's no hope in Him, then naturally you're putting your trust and your faith and your security in the things that you have and the things that are surrounding you, the things that you can put in your hands. The only thing you have to live for then is the present, your stuff, that materialism. It is perfectly consistent with your religion at that point. But anxious worry is also irresponsible in light of what the Bible tells us about God's love and God's faithfulness to us. In Proverbs 3, Solomon writes, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean, do not trust, do not depend upon your own understanding. Acknowledge Him, seek His will in all that you do, and He will show you which path to take. In Isaiah chapter 26, the prophet said, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. I like to read it in, in another, uh, another person. God will keep you in perfect peace. All who trust in him, all whose thoughts are fixed on him. In 1988, Bobby McFerrin wrote a song called Don't Worry, Be Happy. Harder than it looks, harder than it sounds, easier said than done. How do you overcome the storms of anxiety, the storms of worry, the storms of life? Jesus said, really, there, there's three simple ways to do this. Number one is this, live one day at a time. You see, we don't do that very well. We tend to reach out and try to take tomorrow and next week and next year, and we roll that in on top of things that are going on, and all of a sudden our worries have expanded beyond our ability to understand. But he said, don't do that. The, the Jews would say it this way, don't worry about tomorrow's evils, for you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Perhaps tomorrow you will not be alive, and you will have worried for a world which will not be yours. But Jesus cut that all down, and he simply said, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And remember this. How much of the things that we worry about are things that we can actually do anything about? About 8%. About 8%. What I have noticed is that when we begin to focus on the needs of somebody else, we look around us in our community, in our congregation, around Bond County, and we see people who are hurting, who are needy, who are without, and we begin to pour ourselves into them, we begin to minister to them, we find out that our concerns, our worries, our needs, all of a sudden have grown quite a bit smaller. And they don't look so overwhelming to us. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. That's the second thing. Live righteously. 
and he will give you everything that you need. The third thing is this. Remember where true peace comes from. In Philippians, going back to that chapter again, chapter 4, the Apostle Paul said, don't worry about anything. Man, that's a tall order. Don't worry about anything. Instead, do this. Pray. Pray first. Not last. Not in between. Not when things are, are over your head. Not when you're overwhelmed. But pray first. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank Him for all that He has done. And thank Him for what He will do in your life. Then you will experience God's peace. Notice, it exceeds anything that we can consciously understand, that we can wrap our minds around. His peace will guard your hearts. You don't have to worry. He will guard your mind so that you won't be invaded with the concerns of this life as you live in Christ Jesus. What kind of peace exceeds all understanding? It is the kind of peace this world cannot duplicate in pills or bottles or drink or relationships or things. The world can't give you the kind of peace that God does. That's why it exceeds our understanding because the world can't duplicate, can't give you that kind of peace. It's the kind of peace that's stronger than our fears. It's stronger than our worries. It's stronger than our anxieties. It's stronger than tomorrow. It's stronger than even where we're living today. That kind of peace. And God wants so much to give that to you. Dr. E. Stanley Jones, a great contemporary preacher of today, writes, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life, but faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are not my native air. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. A John Hopkins University doctor says, We do not know why it is that worriers die sooner than non-worriers but that is a fact. And so Jones says, but I, who am simple of mind, think I know. We are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain cell and soul for faith and not fear. God made us that way. And to live by worry is to live against reality. And what is that reality? The reality is that the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, came to this earth, taught, loved, preached, healed, died, and was raised again so that your sins would be forgiven, so that eternal life could be yours. And if I can trust my God to do that for me, then I can trust God to make sure that I can eat tomorrow and I've got something to wear. It may not be a T-bone steak, but it'll be food. And it may not be a three-piece suit, but I'll be covered. It may not be the things that the world says you have to have to be successful, but it'll be all I need. This is why Paul said, learn to be content in all situations. Because the God of peace provides for the reason for that contentment. This morning, if you're troubled, if you're anxious, if you're worrying, if, it's, if, it, is, if it is disabling you, bring these things to the foot of the cross Give them to Jesus. Let him carry that load. You can't, and you don't have to. Maybe this morning you don't know how to do that because you don't know who Jesus is, and you've never fully trusted in him for salvation.
If you need to make a decision today to say that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and I trust Him with my life and salvation, come today and let Him give you that grace. Whatever, thing, whatever you need to do, why don't you come? We're going to stand and sing an invitation to Him. Would you stand? Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we come to you as Almighty God, the one who provides for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Father, the one who has created all things, the one who provides for our every need. Father, help us to learn peace. Give us the ability to be content. Help us to, to know what it is to be secure in you. Not in the news and, and not in the things of this world and not in the material things that we see around us, but Father, in you. May we find our peace in you alone. And Father, if there's someone here today that is struggling with finding that peace, I pray that in abundance you would pour that out upon them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.